0: You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, ChristianHumanist.org. All the girls are complicated. Everyone.
1: Episode 134 of the Christian Feminist Podcast on the biblical figure of Queen Athaliah. I'm Marie Haas, moderating today, and with me today are Katie Grubbs and Christina Bieber-Lake. So let's introduce ourselves for anyone who's new to the show. Uh, Katie, you can go first.
0: Thanks. I'm Katie Grubbs. I am adjunct professor of English at Houston Baptist University in Houston, Texas, and I'm also a Bible study teacher at my church. And I live in Sugar Land, Texas, with my husband, David Grubbs, of the Christian Humanist Podcast, and our four children. Thanks,
1: Katie. Christina, what about you?
2: Yes, I'm Christina Bieber Lake. I teach English at Wheaton College here in Wheaton, Illinois. And I'm married to an Anglican priest, and we have one son who does not like to trick-or-treat. Hooray. (laughs) (laughs)
1: important because we're recording on halloween (laughs) uh and i'm marie haas um another regular panelist on the christian feminist podcast here and i'm not currently teaching i have a literature phd from florida state university and an mdiv uh, recently from Yale Divinity School. I'm currently working as a research assistant on an edition of the Tudor translations of Christine de Pizan. And I live in Connecticut with my, my son, who is just one year old, and my husband, and uh, exciting thing is we're expecting another one in January. So <laughs> that, um, that will be the big event in our lives coming up here. <laughs>
0: Congratulations!
1: Congratulations. Awesome. I did not know. Great. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm getting b- pretty big here. <laughs> um, so today we're talking about the interesting biblical figure of Queen Athaliah. And I think the chances are that you may not have heard of her because she's not someone you hear talked about a lot anymore, really. But she's actually pretty significant for one reason and that's that in her six-year reign as Queen of Judah in the ninth century BCE, she was the only biblical queen to rule as sole monarch of either Judah or Israel. So that's a pretty big thing. It's pretty significant when it comes to thinking about powerful women in the Bible. Um, In the biblical accounts, she was either the daughter or the sister of Ahab. The text isn't entirely clear, and there's some scholarly debate about which is most likely to be accurate, but tradition places her firmly as Ahab's daughter in the northern kingdom, and uh, has the infamous Jezebel as her mother. So how did she get to the throne of Judah? Uh, she married Jehoram also called Joram uh, the king of Judah perhaps this was to help create peace between the northern and southern kingdoms and she was then first the wife of the king of Judah and then when her son Ahaziah came to the throne the mother of the king but when Ahaziah was assassinated by Jehu king of Israel Athaliah stepped into power in Judah, ordering the death of anyone else with a claim to the throne, presumably this means her own descendants, and she then reigned for more than six years, but was uh, deposed and killed with a child who had been rescued from her executions, installed in her place as king. So Athaliah does not have a good reputation. I think of her as kind of the the Queen Circe of the Bible, (laughs) ruthless in her path to the throne. Um, but she's worse even than Cersei, maybe, in that uh, she supposedly doesn't even care about her own offspring. Um, She's traditionally linked with Jezebel as her mother, and part of her evil is supposed to be her support of Baal worship, which is something that's implied but not explicitly stated in the biblical texts, Um, although, interestingly, her name itself means Yahweh is Lord. Even though Athaliah is not well-known now, She has fascinated some artists over the centuries, most notably there was um, Jean Racine's 1691 tragedy about her, which inspired an oratorio from Handel, and Athaliah is supposed to have been a role in which the famous 19th century actress Sarah Bernhardt uh, shone. So, though we don't really hear about her much now, um, I think... Maybe partly we don't hear about her much because it's hard to know what to do with a biblical figure like this, this powerful woman who's really presented in a very negative light. And we're going to talk about that question of what to do with Athaliah. But first, uh, Katie, if you could give us a few more details about her. Where does she appear in the Bible? What do the texts say about her?
0: Sure. Um... So you, she appears in both in uh, Kings and Chronicles. Second Kings eleven and Second Chronicles twenty two and twenty three. Those are the main um, those are the main moments when you see this story about her having um, all of the uh, the royal children killed. Um, but it, there's a few mentions a little bit sooner, and I'm going to make sure that I'm here. Um, in Second Kings eight um, is I think the first time that you see a reference to. Athaliah. Um, so I'm at 2 Kings 8, uh, 25. In the 12th year of uh, Joram, the, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaziah was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Athaliah, the granddaughter of Omri, king of Israel. He walked in the way of the house of Ahab and did evil in the sight of the Lord like the house Ahab of Ahab had done because he was a son-in-law of the house of Ahab. So she kind of is mentioned there, and then in chapter 9 is when uh, her son Ahaziah is killed by Jehu, um, and and that's also the same chapter when Jezebel is is killed, um, which is the more famous story in that chapter, which, and you said you wondered how why she hasn't been mentioned more, and I wonder sometimes if one reason she doesn't get more press is because in the same books of the Bible where her story is happening is also the story of Jezebel, who for whatever reason is much more, I guess... Known, I, and, I, and it's kind of strange. Like, Jezebel is like a, yeah. a byword. I mean, people get called a Jezebel, like, and I, you know, and it, it's just, it's interesting that one became this super well known story and the other one is just kind of obscure, even though it's all happening in the same part of the Bible. And, you yeah, know,
2: I thought of that too. It is interesting, isn't it?
0: Yeah, no, one no, gets no called you're <laughs> yeah. it's called a Zachariah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's easier to say Jezebel, which, you know, True. The, um, <laughs> Maybe why one reason people uh, forgot about her, and then um, there, there's another mention that's interesting in Second Chronicle, and I'm going to go back to the major story in a second, but just in terms of what uh, her character, what what the the writers seem to be saying about her, um, in Second Chronicles 20, 22, and 23 is when that same story happens, um, but there's a little bit more detail. Um obviously it's a different voice. Um at the beginning of chapter 22 it says Ahaziah was 22 years old when he became king and he reigned one year in Jerusalem and his mother's name was Athaliah the granddaughter of Omri. But then they this is this is here and was not in kings. He also walked in the ways of the house of Ahab for his mother was his counselor to do wickedly. Um he did evil in the sight of the Lord like the house of Ahab for they were his counselors after the death of his father to his destruction. So um Kings tells us that he follows in the ways of Ahab, but doesn't really attribute any reason for that, just says he does. But the writer of Chronicles takes pains to tell us that um, he had counselors from the house of Ahab after the death of his father, who continued to, to lead him astray, I suppose. One of them being his mother, who this writer says was his counselor to do wickedly. So uh, that's one reason that she's thought of. It's not, I mean, it's not just to, so that you have her actions, that we're gonna, I'm going to talk about in a second and that you mentioned before, Marie, but also just um, the kind of, this kind of label or this, this description that is given in Chronicles is another reason that she's um, thought of as a, a bad figure. Um, so in 2 Kings 11 and 2 Chronicles 22 and 23, you get the story of um, her seizing the throne. Or t- taking the throne, I should say. So, and I'm just going to read just a few verses. So, at the beginning of uh, 2 Kings 11, it says, When Adaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she rose and destroyed all the royal offspring. But Jehoshaphat, or in uh, in Chronicles, she's called uh, Jehoshabeath, with a TH on the end. Uh, The daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him from among the king's sons who were being put to death and placed him in his nurse in the bedroom. So they hid him from Adaliah, and he was not put to death. So he was hidden with her in the house of the Lord six years while Adaliah was reigning over the land. And there's no mention of what happened while she was reigning. Both chapters in both books just say, and she reigned for six years. (laughs) There's no like detail um, given. In Second Chronicles 22 and 23, again you get more detail. So um, at the end of chapter 22, Second Chronicles, uh, Jehoshabeath, the king's daughter, took Joash the son of Ahaziah and stole him from among the king's sons, placed him and his nurse in the bedroom. So Jehoshabeath, the daughter of King Jehoram, the wife of King Jehoiada the priest, for she was the sister of Ahaziah, hid him from Athaliah, Athaliah so that she would not put him to death. So this, it's Chronicles that explains why he was hid in the house of God, which is that. Jehoshabiah is married to the priest. Um, and in Kings, it talks about the priest is the one who then places um, his son on the throne, um, you know, after her six-year reign, after Athaliah's six-year reign. But there's no mention of the connection there. In Chronicles, you get the connection, which is that this sister of King Ahaziah, who stole the baby, and took him to the house of the Lord, was raised in the in the house of the Lord because her husband was the priest. And so they are, I'm assuming, raising him together there in the house of the Lord for the six years that she is reigning, um, so that he won't be killed. And um, one of the things that I noted when I was, first I read it, I, I read everything first in my basic Bible with no notes, because if I read the study Bible first, I get too distracted, right, because I want to read every note. That's there on everything. So first I just read it in my basic Bible. Then I went back. So when I read it back in my study Bible. There were a couple of interesting notes. Um, But uh, one of the things that I had put down in here. um, Is that the study Bible writers. Just kind of wrote in the notes. um, About Adaliah. A daughter of Ahab. She was dedicated to seeing Baal worship flourish in Judah. Just kind of stated it. As a fact, but like you mm-hmm. said, Maria, it's it's mostly implied in the text, because and, and I think a lot of that is it's partially because she's the daughter's thought to be the daughter of Ahab, and also I suppose this is assumed because when Joash is that the grandson, when the the baby that gets saved then becomes king um, after her six year reign, at that point Jehoiada the priest um, and the members of the military who are loyal to him and to the new king, they tear down the temple of of Baal and kill the priest. And so I suppose that's another reason that they are that, that the at least the study Bible editors are assuming that she was um, a proponent or a patroness I saw her called somewhere a patroness of that type of worship is because under her reign this temple has been allowed to flourish, right? Yeah, um, and
1: it also yeah. in Second Chronicles uh, 24 um, it has sort of like a flashback to the children of Athaliah that wicked woman had broken into the house of God and had used the things there that were dedicated to the Lord for the balls. So that, that is um, maybe another reason, but it never, it's never explicitly uh, stated that Athaliah herself was involved in this. But Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, And it, the, the whole story is interesting for a couple of reasons. One is that it has obviously has echoes of some other stories so her putting to death all of the royal children, but one is saved, is very feels very much like Baby Moses in the basket, right? When you know Pharaoh orders all the Israelite boys to be killed, and Moses's mother enacts the steering plan to save him from destruction. Um, it also has shades of what would happen much later in the Slaughter of the Innocents in the New Testament, when Herod orders all the babies to be killed. So that's one reason I think that it's. Um, I think that's one reason she's seen in this particular light too, is because reading that story, you kind of, if you if you know other parts of scripture, the echoes of these other stories are kind of in your mind. And in those cases, the the person who's having all the babies killed is like somebody who's usually seen as unequivocally bad—Pharaoh, King right. Herod. Um, and so it she it kind of places her in that company, I guess. Um, and so I, I I wonder if that's part of it. Um, and, and I mean, one of the notes that I read, and or maybe one of the articles that we read pointed out that it wasn't um, totally abnormal for this to happen, that there were other monarchs who would kill off royal children to make sure that, you know, nobody could threaten them. Um, and so it's not like she was the first one to do it. Um, but I... It seems clear that um, maybe this is thought of. I, don't, I mean, I don't know if this is if she's thought of as worse than male monarchs who did that because she's a woman, and like there's this assumption that a woman should have some kind of maternal feeling and not want to kill all these right. children.
2: Well, especially uh, her own grandson, and that of course was one of the open questions, right? Is it because she's a woman? Yeah, that,
0: yeah, um, yeah. So that just and and I hope that that's kind of enough context and and, and content. Um, you know, and 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 it's also worth saying that this story also reminds me of. I am I, not. I don't know that I would go as far as saying that it's like an, an archetype or something like that, but it reminds me of so many other stories throughout literature, not biblical literature, just literature of stories where you have uh, like a dynasty being destroyed and like one person is saved, right? And spirited away and hidden in secret. And right. it has that kind of almost mythological feel. It makes me think of like David Edding's Pana Prophecy in which you have like a whole line um, that's saved and the the, the study Bible, editors make a point to say too that this event brought the line of David to the brink of extinction Mm -hmm. but because Joash is saved it it is able to continue which that um, is potentially another reason why Adelaide thought of so badly because it was through the line of David that Jesus is going to come later Mm -hmm. and so so it's it's not just any other run-of-the-mill line in one of these royal houses and one of these endless wars that almost came to an end Um, And that I think is also a really interesting aspect of this story.
1: I think that's such a great observation that having this kind of one person is saved storyline going on that really emphasizes the providential nature of Joash's restoration to the throne and the um, preservation of the Davidic line. Um, I think that's a big thing that's going on here. And the question of why does she kill Her grandchildren. Um, That's something we'll probably talk about a little bit more because it's it's so. Her reasons seem kind of obscure, even though it's such. it, It is a common practice to at the time to get rid of other possible claimants to the throne, but it seems like she could have just said, um, okay, I'm gonna be regent to this one-year-old until he's like 20 or something and <laughs> <Right. laughs> still been on And the had throne. a ton of power. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but instead she orders um, these executions um, and there's lots of speculation as to why exactly or if that's something that's just been imposed by the narrator or what's going on with that. Um, but we can come back to that later maybe Um, before we move on to talking about the different approaches that people might take to Athelai and that we might take ourselves I was curious what your sort of initial impressions of her were had you heard about her before or not Um, for my part I, I know I must have heard about her when I was growing up, because I read through the Bible a few times, I must have read about her, but it never really stuck with me, Um, until a couple years ago, I think it must have been in a commentary, I came across some mention of her as being the only woman to rule as as the the sole monarch in Judah in the Bible, and that made me sort of more interested in her interested but also a little disappointed because when you read these passages there's there's not much that's actually about Athaliah like like you said uh, Katie there's not much given about the details of her reign like she reigned six years okay Th- there's not much there about her um, so that's a little disappointing and also she's so vilified uh, a little bit and in, in the biblical text and a lot in the tradition um it just seems like a little bit disappointing as well in some at some level uh, what was your initial impression Christina
2: Well first of all I want to say how fun it is to be talking about a nasty woman right before this big event it I' have to point that out but I have heard the Bible read I listened to a daily audio Bible reading of the Bible you know all year for five years something running and I still don't remember anything about that so, but I mean, to my credit, I'm often doing other things while I'm listening, but also it comes right after the Jezebel incident, right? So if you're listening in chronological order of the order of the text, then it's easy to just sort of, um, Jezebel takes up much more space, the narrative takes up more space, it's more dramatic, you know, there's dogs chewing up things and stuff. So I think I just blanked it out. And and so until this show came up, I just never thought one one minute about her.
1: Yeah, she's so overshadowed by Jess Bell, like uh, Katie observed. Um, What about you, Katie?
0: Yeah, this actually, um, researching for today was one of my, maybe my first time that I had actually read this story. I'm kind of slowly working my way through reading and taking notes on the histories, but I haven't gotten here yet. Um, So I've been in um, the Samuels, and um, I've been kind of trying to annotate while I read. So it's it's going slow, more slowly, but I, I'm actually enjoying it more. Um, and I hadn't gotten here yet. Um, I had read the bits of bits about Jezebel in the past because they, you know, we talked about it in Bible study or something. Um, so so, yeah. Um, and kind of on first encountering the encountering Adelaide in the story, that really was my first thought was, wait a second, why? This is right next to Jezebel. Like, who knew? Like, I, I had no I had no idea this was here. And yet somehow I definitely know the story of Jezebel. Why is that like why one and not the other? And I, it was just kind of interesting, particularly because given that their stories are so closely together, you would think and I, as a teacher, my first move would be to teach them together um, yeah. as like analogs. Yeah, but because they're right next to each other. Anyway, you didn't have to work hard to do it. So it's it's, it's really interesting I, that was my first thought was, why have I not heard about this before? when it's not only an interesting story, but also is very close to another story about a woman who in scripture who's seen as a villain. Um, mm-hmm. And well, one, uh, I think it, we we should be
2: somewhat thankful for that because one could imagine an alternative universe in which this story is, Uh, told from the perspective of a truly highly misogynistic person who's trying to make her look just nasty, right? Um, And we would remember it more. So I'm kind of glad that we don't, right? Because it's not so much about her being a woman in this particular text.
1: Yeah, that's That's a good point. Yeah, it it sort of becomes more of that in the tradition a little bit, but it's not a major point that the, the biblical narrators are making.
2: <laughs> right. I don't think it is anyway. But that's debatable, but it's not major for sure.
0: Yeah. I think um, I think it gets lost in the shuffle a little bit too because um may, and I don't know. Jezebel maybe is better remembered, not just like you said, Christina, because her, her death is, is very dramatic. I mean we don't you know, they just tell us that they kill Athaliah at the at the gate. Right. Um, but she's, she's set up in the story of Ahab, who I think is a much better known monarch. He gets talked about a lot more. Yeah. Um, and his story is so tied up with the prophet, which the story of Ahaziah and Athaliah is not. Um, right. and so that, that's another thing that is, is kind of in play with all of this. Um, and, uh, so I think that's, that's kind of part of it. But also I think, um, one of the, the notes that I read in my study Bible said that, um, in some, you know, in a lot of the official kind of histories or lineages that even though she was the sole ruler, that her reign is not listed because it's it's viewed as, as like illegitimate. And um, so the years of her reign are kind of folded in with the reign of Joash, um, yeah. who's the grandson. And so if that's if that's kind of traditionally been the case, that could be another reason is that, you know, Jezebel is the famously terrible wife of a very famous king. And, you know, Adaliah though she reigned, is not listed even, because her her time is folded in with Joash, because even though he wasn't reigning, I suppose it's because he was alive that whole time, and was the heir? I don't know. Mm. But uh, I, think, I think that that's maybe another reason for Jezebel's greater uh, I, I I almost said popularity <laughs> that 's a lie, um, huh. but popularity is a topic to talk about, not like people think she 's amazing um, yeah. <laughs> is is that she her she and ahab both are much higher profile than anybody surrounding Adaliah when her story happens if that makes sense yeah mm-hmm.
1: yeah that 's a good point um, so I thought uh, in order for us to get into discussing what we might do with this kind of difficult figure. Uh, like Athaliah, um, we could t- talk first about two examples of what people ha- approaches people have taken to her and then give her own thoughts. Um, the examples I've found are a chapter in Liz Curtis Higgs' 2000 book, Really Bad Girls of the Bible and a section from a 2012 feminist academic article by Kyung-Suk Lee, Books of Kings, Images of Women Without Women's Reality. So let me summarize the approach that Liz Curtis Higgs takes toward Athaliah, and then we can talk about Lee briefly. Um, When I was trying to find material for this episode, it was really driven home to me, like, how little there really is out there on Athaliah. This chapter by Liz Curtis Higgs is pretty much the only major popular treatment of Athaliah that I could find. Mm-hmm. Uh, really Bad Girls of the Bible is part of Higgs's uh, best-selling Bad Girls of the Bible series where she treats women of the Bible one by one in this informal and approachable way, drawing out lessons from their stories. The chapter she has on Athaliah called Blood Will Tell begins with a fictional modernization of the story in which the Athaliah character is this unscrupulous woman who's using any means she can to climb the corporate ladder to CEO and selfishly disregarding the needs of her pregnant daughter as she does so pressuring her to get an abortion which somehow inevitably leads to the daughter's death in a car crash Uh, but the main part of the chapter is Higgs's discussion of the biblical Athaliah So Higgs dislikes what she calls Athaliah's excessive drive toward success, and she takes a negative view of Athaliah throughout the chapter. She says that of all the bad girls, and really bad girls, of the Bible, Athaliah is least sympathetic and most despicable. Higgs emphasizes Athaliah's supposed Baal worship, um, the evils of her mother Jezebel and her grandfather Omri and uh, Higgs attributes to Athaliah the intention of obliterating the line that would produce the Messiah most of all Higgs presents Athaliah's executions as the height of her criminality and her unfeminine evil she says there's something chilling about a mother a grandmother doing such a thing uh, in contrast to this, Higgs celebrates the heroism of Jehoshabah's rescue of Joash. And the primary lesson that Higgs draws from Athaliah's story is that leaders have to serve God rather than their own ambition. Um, the danger of selfish, uh, s- selfish ambition and its sinfulness is really kind of the main thing she seems to want us to take away from the story. Higgs also says we can learn from Athaliah's story to distinguish between what's socially acceptable like the practice of killing rivals for the throne and what's right and that we see that God's plans prevail in the end. Um, So her chapter is one way we can see uh, making use of Athaliah's story today. For myself, I don't really love this chapter overall, but there are a few benefits to this kind of approach, I think. For one thing, having this whole chapter devoted to Athaliah and this uh, popular work does highlight her presence in the Bible, and it shows the existence of women in the Bible. Um, I guess Higgs' whole series does a good job of doing that. It Shows the existence of women of all types and all characters in the Bible, and that's, I think, in general, a good thing to be doing. It also strongly comes down against Athaliah's violence in taking power, um, and I think <laughs> we can probably all agree that condemning coups and violence and the transfer of political power is something that we would really also think of as a good thing. And uh, an aspect of the approach that she takes that's maybe, I think, more pragmatic than necessarily either good or bad is that it does stick very closely to the received view of Athaliah and doesn't try to, like, turn the biblical text inside out or read between the lines or that kind of thing, um, which could help in, in writing for a very broad audience, as she's doing. Um, I think, though, there's also some potential drawbacks to this kind of approach that Higgs takes. Most importantly for me, maybe it seems like it's very against uh, ambition, especially women being ambitious, and there's this undercurrent that seems to be one of a, a distrust of women in power, because when they have had to be ambitious to get there? The chapter also genders Athaliah's evil, Although I'm not I'm not sure this is really something Higgs was like aiming to do, but Athaliah's actions are presented as worse because she's a woman and so she's going against supposedly womanly traits. Higgs at one point even quotes an eighteenth century commentary about the horror that quote, the tender sex could be so barbarous unquote, oh boy. as not so much fun you know, kill her grandchildren. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so there's that and then another potential drawback I think to this approach is um, that there's there's no way here of having any anything kind of rehabilitative of of, of Athaliah's image at all Um, which sort of further could emphasize further that if Athaliah is a biblical image of a woman in power um, then that's that's not a great thing to see Um, so I wonder, uh, before we move on to Lee, did either of you have anything you wanted to say in response to uh, Higgs's approach to Ethelai?
0: I I mean, I'm never a fan of fictionalizations of scripture, like on any level, which and she's not. I mean, you know, she makes a totally different story, right? That's uh, like an adaptation or what she feels like is an adaptation. Um, but yeah, like you said, the problem with, with something like that is that she kind of creates a modern version but loaded with a lot of ideas about what it means to be a person seeking power, what it says about you um, and what it can lead to. Um, and so much of it turns on speculation because, because we don't get Adelaide's perspective. She only talks one time in the whole story and that's when she comes into the house of the Lord to find that they have proclaimed her grandson King. And she says, treason, treason. And that's the mm-hmm. only thing we one get from word. Yes. And so, we don't know her motivations i mean you, mm-hmm. from her actions you know the assumption is well the only reason that a person could think of to kill all these children including your own grandchild is is to to attain power but as you guys pointed out earlier she could have she could have had a lot of power as regent so it seems like a very um a very tenuous speculation to say well obviously it was selfish ambition and a radical lust for power that led her to do this i agree it would be difficult to think of other motivations but we just don't know and so um we don't know why she did what she did um you know she i mean it could have i don't know I, i i i feel like it it caused me causes me some frustration when you take when people are taking a bible story adding in some speculation and then from these from that from that interpretation taking application Mm -hmm. for our own lives I feel like is not a great idea
2: (laughs) so you don't think that this necessarily a problem to kind of do a fictionalization it's just when the whole point is to learn something from it
0: uh maybe well I mean I to be honest I don't love fictionalization I don't love novelizations Mm. of scripture it bothers me yeah I I I don't like and maybe um I don't know but maybe that's partly because I'm you know I'm such a I'm such a I've been so trained in terms of literature to look at the primary text, always the primary text, um, that it bothers me. So like, you know, when I was younger, I had a lot of friends who loved reading, you know, kind of Christian um, novelizations of women of the Bible or, Mm -hmm. or things like that. And I never was into that. Because I, I was never here for anything that was adding to what was there, mm-hmm. you know. And that's not to say that I don't have my own private speculations about some people in the Bible or what of I imagine they must have been thinking or feeling. But right. but I'm not going to be throwing that out there and then go and see, look what we can learn from this. Well, right. yeah. you know, um, so that's my, that's my big issue with Higgs is that she's then seeking to take application. And how can we take uh, – to be honest, I don't think that reading Queen Athaliah's story, I don't look at that and go, clearly – There's something about her that can teach me about how to be a woman in my own life. To me, the only obvious application for my life as a Christian from that story is God will accomplish his plan.
2: Yeah.
0: You know, God protected the line of David despite what she was doing. And that, to me, is the only salient, obvious lesson of that story. <laughs> it's that God accomplished, like you said, um, Marie. It's the providence. It's the providence lesson. That's the lesson. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like because she's a woman, there must be something I can learn from about how to be a Christian woman from this story. Um, mm-hmm. You yeah. know, it's it's presented as history, um, and so I would accept it as as history. Um, but you know, that part of that could just be my hangup because I don't love fictionalizations
1: yeah I don't know about fictionalizations i I think for me, we do have to have sort of speculations that we can tie into application though with, with something like this because there's just so little there you have to read between the lines to get any any idea of. Uh, any potential motivations anyone might have i just don't like this particular application (laughs) it's my problem with it um Uh more than uh more than the practice of of, uh speculating and then applying the speculation as (laughs) to the application um okay well let's look briefly at lee then Uh, christina um could you tell us about this piece
2: Well, everything you need to know about it is in the subtitle of the book, Images of Women Without Women's Reality. I mean, it's quite clear that what she's trying to say is that Athaliah has been painted in a particular way for uh, the narrator's purpose, and she thinks the point of view is Jehoiada, the priest's. And so that's the overall uh, take she has on it. But she begins by going back over well-trodden line like we're not exactly sure where she's from, who her relatives are, and she doesn't think that uh, Ahab is uh, her father and that that's just part of the sort of weaving of the story of her as a nasty woman. And she also asks the question what reason would she have killed her own grandson providing again that that aporia, right, that this this is the part of the story that doesn't make any sense because she would have had the power anyway. She also wonders how joash could have been hidden for so long so nearby which is i think an interesting question and then she said that probably because she was from the northern kingdom and considered a foreigner and that's an interesting point i think we should talk about is how when ever some a woman is called a nasty woman she has to be considered a foreigner even though she's from you know israel it's not really that it's just the northern kingdom so that's interesting that she probably wouldn't have succeeded and would not have enjoyed the support of Jerusalem and the priests. And so she, Lee concludes that second Kings 11 is quote, an extremely distorted representation of one of, of Athaliah's political purges, end quote. So, and then she says, probably she was an extremely adroit politician uh, and leader to last so long, you know, and then she thinks that jehoiada is the one telling the story and it's all to give glory to god to say that you know god is going to protect david's line even though it's threatened by this horrible person and then that's why he paints her as quote a witch now lee doesn't give any evidence for that and doesn't even talk about baal worship which i think is is really interesting because there's at least mention of baal and baal worship but she just uses the term he paints her as a witch so um, and then she says that this is an example of prejudices and antipathies that quote the deuteronomist redactors harbored against women especially foreign women and so to conclude this means this is the most speculative of the other couple of things that, that you gave us that you haven't mentioned already here Marie but the couple other pieces mm-hmm. this is more speculative than those
1: yeah so what would you what would you see as either of you see as either um, potential benefits or drawbacks to like this kind of approach as opposed to Higgs? Because this it seems like something that's sort of almost diametrically opposed to what Higgs is doing.
2: It strikes me as a similar kind of danger on the other side of the coin, right? Um, and uh, And I want to pick up on something that Katie was saying, which is like, if this is meant to be offered as history... You've got the dangers of speculation, but you also have the dangers of trying to figure out, uh, is there a point of view in this, and there's always going to be a point of view in history, right? But um, how strongly do we assume that that point of view has been entered into the text? And that is an impossible question to answer. And I'm not saying it's not important. On the contrary, I think it's essential. But boy, is that hard to answer for an ancient text.
1: That's very true. (laughs) Um, I think I, I think of something like this as taking like a rehabilitative approach to this type of figure, and reading between the lines to, of the Bible of the biblical text to try to find any way of redeeming her, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, which has, I, I think, there's some good aspects of that. Encountering like the, the long negative tradition that this figure has. Um, Mm -hmm. But it could, like you say, perhaps go too far in the other direction. For me, that would be in um, sort of ignoring or excusing uh, violence. Um, Like, uh, you see people pointing out, oh, this is just a common thing to do when you're taking the throne, you kill the rivals, Um, which does help rehabilitate Athaliah in a sense, but you don't want to go too far with that rehabilitation maybe because that's not, it's still not a good thing to do. (laughs) Yeah, Um, Yeah,
2: exactly. And it seems to me, if you take a big step backward from, from Kings and Chronicles in general, and you realize that it's story of King after King after King, and some follow the bells and some were loyal and it's back and forth, not, you know, back and forth one after the other, but you know what I'm talking about. And that's the, biblical narrator's interest is are they actually you know listening to god and wanting to destroy the uh work the idol worship or are they not and she is no different from the ones who are uh, not interested in worshiping jehovah as god right like yahweh uh and at least it's there's enough in the text to suggest that she is more on the side of the bells and now joash if i read correctly ahead ends up being on the side of Yahweh. I mean, yeah,
0: you know, yeah, yeah. Is yeah. that right? Yeah. Hezekiah and, always gets the press as being the one who turned it around. But but yeah, the, I mean, the biblical text tells us that Joash followed the Lord. Mm-hmm.
2: And so you know what I'm saying, though. It's like there's some that just do and some that don't. And it's a back and forth kind of thing. And that's what the Bible is interested in. And uh, and so I'm not sure that she is made. In fact, I think this is good that she's not made exceptional because she's a woman. Like, how is it that I'm just yeah. now realizing that she's the only female monarch, right? So in, in a sense, to, to God, it doesn't matter that it was a woman who wasn't following him. It's, it was a leader that, who wasn't following him.
1: Interesting points, yeah.
2: You know, it makes you rapacious, too. Um, if you're not interested in following uh, Yahweh, then you think of children as expendable, right? Because, and those are things that would never enter the mind of God. Well, they would enter the mind of Baal, right? Like to to sacrifice your children. So why not kill the grandson to maintain power, right? I think that's what the biblical text is trying to help us to see. Um, that makes sense, Christina.
0: And I hadn't yeah. thought of it that way. But you're but you're right. Um, and and I, I I like what you said too about her not being made it exceptional because like like you said marie we don't want to go too far towards sympathizing with you know this idea of ruthlessly cutting down to get power mm-hmm. um but but also you know maybe we should interrogate sometimes too why when we want to redeem somebody why do we don't want to redeem that person
1: and mm-hmm. the case yes. of
0: someone like queen Adaliah is the only reason we may want to try to find redeeming qualities in her because she's a woman because if that's true, then, you know, why, you know, I, I don't know, it, it sh- that, that, I think that's a question worth asking too, you know, and if we, if we want to humanize her when we wouldn't do the same thing for someone like Queen Herod or whatever, or King Herod, sorry, King Herod um, in the New Testament, um, then I think that's a question worth asking too. And you're right, now in her case, we get so little information about her, it's easier to do that, you know, and I think that's what Lee is trying to do. But um, yeah, I, I think those are all good questions.
1: Yeah, and maybe we can move on to talking about more broadly in general what we think of uh as feminists we would we should do with a figure like this, whether just in thinking about her or in scholarship. Um, I think you're touching on that question, Katie, in and asking do we are we just interested in her because she's a woman? Which I would say probably yes <laughs> think, Sure. Right. And I think uh for me, in, in, in an approach to her and scholarship, that is actually enough of a reason to um, to be interested in rehabilitating her, in a way, Just and there's and there's still a lot of room for those kinds of approaches, I think, because of the the long negative tradition that she has, and we can have a lot that we can add in to counterbalance that, though again, I wouldn't want to necessarily go too far with making her an extremely positive figure. Um, and no, so,
2: but yeah, go ahead. It, 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 there's such a big difference between making her a positive figure and just simply saying something along the lines of, "Look, she actually established leadership in uh, it, the Judah, right? for six years. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is remarkable for a woman, and that there's very little in the text that actually has a bunch of people going, "Oh, get the woman out of there, right?" Um, it's more like she's not the the one who is the heir to the throne, right? Now, it's assumed that she's, she's be, it's because she's a woman, but they're not casting aspersions on her because she's a woman. And I think, in, in yeah. short, what the text does not say, I find fascinating. And I think it's important for us to dig into this and show that, right? Because people think of the patriarchy in the Old Testament and ancient Israel differently than probably it actually was. Um, and and how different I don't know, but I'm just saying, no doubt what we have and what we think of it is is not probably what it was, <laughs> right? Um, and this provides a little bit of an insight into the fact that somehow there were enough people that enabled her to stay in power.
1: Yeah, yeah. So. There, there is some space for some kind of rehabilitation in a scholarship I think and we have some people doing that and the few pieces that exist on Athaliah with like trying to excavate who, what the historical Athaliah like what might have been her motivations for like killing these children or is this actually killing actually something that the narrator has just in installed in the story to emphasize the providential nature of Joash's reign or something like that, you know, those yeah. kinds of approaches or just approaches where you're examining the ideological underpinnings of the biblical texts, even though that's, or, or the narrators or the deuteronomistic redactor or that kind of thing, even though, again, you can't really determine that with certainty, but it's, it, 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 there's a place for that speculation in scholarship, mm-hmm. I think. Um, you also see a couple people trying to fit the story into modern contexts of women attempting to gain political power and using the text in support of that rather than against it, which I think is interesting. There's a couple of articles that do that, especially in the context of, I think, uh, South Africa. So Really? Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. Um, so I, I think I, I should... Uh, get a hold of those articles at some point and see what approach the author is taking there to make the argument. But um, it's mm-hmm. definitely countering the idea that this would be a story against women being in power. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think whatever the approach uh, in scholarship, I would want to really explicitly avoid having Athalia. Being presented as a women as a reason for women not to be in power or to to strive for positions of power, I think there's right. a, ra- a range of approaches yeah, sure. that would be a- appropriate, though.
0: Particularly but- when um, you have other situations in Scripture where you have a woman who has a lot of power, somebody like Deborah, and it's not presented negatively at all. Mm-hmm. So. I mean, it doesn't really make sense to go look. Athaliah was in charge and she was a horrible person. So you should try to be in charge. (laughs) Well, I mean, Deborah was in charge and she was a great person. Like, so, yeah, I see what you're saying, Marie. That's totally true.
2: And then you have violent women, right, you know, jail and her tent spike, right? Like, so it's. Yeah, <laughs> presented positively. Violence. Right, it's important, right? Yeah,
1: there's apparently another really bad woman of the Bible, but
2: <laughs> oh, <really? laughs> I love
1: jail. She's
2: one of my heroes.
1: Them. Well, so apparently, yep. is the woman with the flow of blood, which I didn't read that chapter what? to find out how she becomes. What a bad is happening woman of the with the I think she just ran out of <laughs> a really bad, really women. bad girl. <laughs> yeah. what,
2: what is Higgs overall like? What? Is, who is she, and what is she trying to do? Um, I meant to ask you that when you were talking about that.
1: Well, I know she, she writes a lot about women in the Bible is a popular, like, conference speaker and that sort of thing. I couldn't really figure out, like, what denomination she was coming from. Yeah,
2: I'm just and, curious about her purpose um, for, you know, the that. whole thing, the whole project.
1: Um, but her stated purpose would be to, like, encourage women in their walk with the Lord and draw lessons okay. from women from the Bible, basically. Okay. Um, So before we move on to the last part of the episode, Passing On, I thought we could each talk about what we would do if we were going to preach or teach on these passages in church because this is such a weird kind of figure to approach in the Bible. Um, I can go first, I guess. Uh, It seems like, to me, this would be a really hard passage to preach on, and I'd I can't ever remember hearing a sermon about it, actually. Um, but if I were going to preach on it, I would, like I was just saying, I would want to be careful not to just follow the received view of Athaliah, in that I would want to guard against her becoming this cautionary tale against women in power, um, which is a little bit of the overall effect of Higgs' chapter again. but. But, in preaching on her, I might actually take a cue from Higgs in that I think um, if I were preaching on these passages, I might emphasize the the conflict between Athaliah and Jehoshaphat. I might point out that there's this this vast variety of women in the Bible who are very different characters, uh, very different people. Um, I might show Athaliah as a mixed character, not just a flat villain, pointing out like we just have um, her skill as a leader and apparently ruling peacefully and successfully for six years, but also pointing out the violence that, that is routine in these transitions of power in this story and the surrounding stories. Um, so jehosheba in contrast, stands up to against Athaliah's violence and rescuing Joash. So with these two women, we have this, these interesting female characters pitted against each other, each in these different positions of influence. Jehoshaphat is also part of the royal family; she's Ahaziah's sister, but we don't know if she's. Athaliah's daughter or uh, the daughter of another consort, but either way she's able to stand up to the family and the power that she herself comes from. Um, So I think maybe I would do a sermon with the overall point of condemning violence, especially politically motivated violence, with Jehoshaphat's actions as a positive example, and I'd point out that the assassination of Athaliah that we have in this story just actually continues the cycle of violence that we'd already seen in Jehu's assassinations of Athaliah's family and in Athaliah's executions that she orders, um, even though in killing Athaliah, Jehoiada thinks that he's acting righteously and in God's name. Um, and, and by the way, you have to wonder what Jehosheba thought of her husband murdering this person who's, if not her mother, at least this close family connection. But. Um, mm-hmm. So while Joash's reign restores the royal line that leads to the Messiah, this cycle of violence that that's just continuing here actually contrasts with the non that Jesus, the Messiah, would teach and live, and that would be sort of the main point of the sermon, I think. And I'd have these sort of secondary themes of, look at the variety of women in the Bible, and watch out, this isn't actually a story Ooh. against women in power <laughs> going on in the sermon too. Um, so that that's sort of the best I can think of what I would do if I were going to actually preach on this. What about you all? What approaches would you take in, in preaching or teaching on this?
2: Well, I wouldn't preach it or teach it unless you held a gun to my head. But if you did, <laughs> <Fair> enough. <laughs> I, I would certainly focus on what the text is not saying um, yeah. and, as a way of helping us to understand how we always read with biases. Because I feel like this is not something that people are really as aware of as they should be, right? The basic hermeneutic problems that we have, that mm-hmm. when we approach a text, we always have our own framework in mind and we <clears throat> use whatever is there to 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 justify that. And so I would want to raise the issue of her reputation versus what's actually known about her. Because mm-hmm. to me, that's really important.
1: Yeah, the silences in the text are really some of the mm-hmm. most important things there maybe.
2: Yeah, Yeah, and that she only has the one word that we we don't know what she's ever even said. We've only known a couple of things that she's done. And the Baal point is a good point. Like, how much did she actually worship Baal? You know, she was, you know, we just don't know.
1: Yeah, and her motivations for ordering these executions. I mean, I've seen some people speculating. Maybe she just wanted to, like, appease Jehu, who had just then, mm. killed the rest of her her sons and family basically so she's mm-hmm. like okay I'll go along with this and and sort of appeases him which also isn't great but is a different kind of perspective on her possible motivations but
0: yeah I think that's part of what I would do if I was going to teach this passage in my class at church is I would want to place her in context with the rest of the book by pointing out that by the time she kills all the, the offspring of Ahaziah, all of his brothers, like you just said, all of his brothers have been killed mm-hmm. by Jehu and company and the uh, Ahab's too. I mean, you know, the, then, I mean, it, I, it sounds like the most dangerous thing in the world in this time to be like any member of the royal family who doesn't end up becoming the king because right. you're probably going to get killed if you're a son, um, and so I think I want to,
2: all of that is like the result of Israel wanting a king, right? Isn't that what we're supposed to get from all of this anyway on in an ongoing way?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, and like, but like you said, Christina, it just goes back and forth all the time. And these different kings, you know, and few of whom or any of them are, are trying to, to follow God. Um, but but yeah, I, and I, I mean, I suppose that could be another reason that she's not that, you know, she's not um that she kind of gets lost in the shuffle is because what she did was literally just kind of run of the mill. I mean, you know, she's doing the same thing that all these male kings have done.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, And so I I would want to place her in context and go, okay, you know, this while not acceptable at the time was very normal. So, you know, why do we necessarily want to cast her as, you know, if we're seeing her as somehow worse than those guys, is it because she's a woman? And, you know, what does that tell us about what we think about women? Um, because in this case, the, the, the scriptural context doesn't, I mean, I know you said, Marie, that there's things in the, um, in the secondary, you know, or in the tradition that do make hay of the fact that she's a woman. But in the bare biblical text, it's just, mm-hmm. you know, she's, she's a wicked person like Ahab and all of his counselors. She's kind of lumped in with all these men who would, would do and had done the same thing. And so the Bible doesn't seem to, to cast her in a worse light simply because she's female. that the the actions that she takes that's not the reason they're seen as wrong Yeah, Uh, Yeah. rather rather she's attempting to take out the line of David or you know she's following bell worship or you know those are the reasons that that she's seen as wrong which you know to me that's another problem with Higgs is that her kind of modern version of the story seems to see uh, the problem as being against babies in general Mm -hmm. and also for power (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah. <laughs> like those, i mean those 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 don't seem to be you know those aren't the reasons the bible thinks that she's bad i should mm-hmm. i should say yeah. um and we should always let scripture tell us how to interpret scripture right um i think the other thing that i would do if i was going to teach my ladies about it is that um i would teach about adaliah with jezebel um, yeah with i would too as an example of uh, two women who both do terrible things around the same time in the bible literally in the same couple of chapters and then you know, I would want to maybe start a discussion with my ladies about why do we think that everybody talks about Jezebel, but nobody mentions that. It would be
2: a good discussion, yeah.
0: Yeah, um, yeah it's such and, a good question. Yeah, and compare the two to each other, because, I mean, and I, and, it, you know, this makes sense to me to do that, too, because when I taught, um when I taught women of the Bible last year, I talked, I taught about Deborah and Jael together, because they're in the same story. Yeah, yeah. Um. And so, and, and a lot of, times in church people love to talk about Deborah but people don't usually preach about JL because she's putting tent spikes through people's heads but she's seen as a hero in that story yeah. and, um, and so we talked about them together and so I think that that is another um, way of placing that would be another way of placing out in context is placing her in context with all the male figures all the male kings around her who are doing the same thing but also placing her into context with Jezebel who was another woman of power in the same mm-hmm. area at the same time and, um who also the Bible presents in a way of that it's questionable <laughs> as that she's not a good person um so yeah that I think that's how I would do it and I think mm-hmm. that that would would be a way of of bringing her to attention and um giving them some things to think about about her without you know having to either over vilify her or attempt to kind of redeem her in some way but just to say you know why don't we know about her and if we have reactions to her where are those coming from
2: mm-hmm. it's know? because of yeah. biblical illiteracy that I can't go for Halloween as jail I mean if we had greater mm-hmm. biblical literacy, I could yep. get away with that. Just carry a tent spike, you know, look at yep. like an Israelite. <laughs> <Yeah, awesome>.
0: <laughs> you know, uh, Christina, my uh, my 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 brother's little boy goes to a Christian school, but um, this week they had dressed like a Bible character day at school, huh? and um, I there's got to be some high schooler at that high school sometime who was I coming to jail. I would I wanna, hope so. I, I would have done it. <laughs> I feel like I, I would have done, done it too. At if, at that age, I would have. Definitely.
1: Okay, well, we'd better move on to our passing on section, but very briefly, are there any other thoughts that you two had on Athaliah that uh, you want to bring up here?
2: None for me. Me either.
1: Okay, great. Well, let's move on to our passing on section where we give our recommendations of further reading or listening to our listeners. My recommendation for today is um, a fun little fantasy series called The Queen's Thief um, by Megan Whalen Turner. Since we're thinking about ruthless queens, this just came to mind to me um, because one of the characters in the series is the queen of Atolia, who begins as this villain who's a queen who will do anything to maintain her power. um, But I don't want to give anything away. That's not the end of her story. (laughs) uh, The fantasy series has an ancient Greek-like setting, um, with gods that intervene in human affairs, and it has some fun characters. And the last book just came out recently, so it's just some some pleasant light reading if you're looking for something like that. What about you, Katie?
0: So um, talking about Queen Adelia has made me think about a uh, a powerful woman of literature who has been kind of... Hated, but also um, oftentimes people want to try to um, defend her, and that is Queen Margaret um, of Anjou. in And she appears in uh, four of Shakespeare's plays, um, what we call the first tetralogy. So that's Henry the Sixth, Part One, Henry the Sixth, Part Two, Henry the Sixth, Part Three, and Richard the Third, which is the best known. A lot of people have only read Richard the Third. Um, and I would recommend, I would recommend, if you're the kind of person who is not scared of reading a Shakespeare play, I would recommend reading those plays. If you're interested in um, depictions of powerful women, and because Margaret is a really uh, mixed figure, so in the play, she's presented pretty negatively um, and, and absolutely presented as a person who wants power, will be ruthless to get power. Um, but I think taken over the course of all four plays, if you if you read them all, not just Richard the Third, because a lot of people only know Richard the Third when she's like. a a little old lady lobbing terrible, very pointed insults at other women in the play from the sidelines. Um, but if you read her whole story through all four plays, um, then you really get a much fuller sense of who she is and how she's managed to survive all this time. Um, a really tumultuous time in history. And I should say, I mentioned, I don't like fictionalizations of the Bible. I'm totally fine. (laughs) But something like Shakespeare taking, uh, taking English history and, uh, putting his own spin on it but that would be my recommendation if you have any interest in um, really really co- a really cool powerful female character who is not um, sweet <laughs> at all <laughs> um, but she's amazing and her lines are amazing um, if I, I can't act at all but if I ever um, could I would she would be a role. To, that I would love to play out of the Shakespeare canon. So that's that's my recommendation is is uh, Shakespeare's first tetralogy with special attention to Queen Margaret.
1: Yeah, she's such a great character. Uh, what about you, Christina?
2: Well, uh, talking about this ancient text made me think about a book that i just just gotten, so I've only just started reading, but it's so interesting. It's called Antigone Rising the subversive power of the ancient myths, and it's more about ancient Greek myths and other things that we're doing on the core curriculum, for example. But it's one of these um, works that take these ancient myths and show that they, although they appear to be upholding patriarchy, they're not that simple. So it's not sort of like, I'm going to misread this on purpose. It's really just to say, this kind of, uh, you know, in a sort of deconstruction way, upends itself. And I think that's a really interesting thing to think about when you're reading the Bible as well, which is not to say that I'm talking about some kind of higher criticism or whatever. I'm just saying it's interesting to think all the time about what appears to be upholding the patriarchy and is really not.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, Okay, so thank you both, Katie and Christina, for joining me in this episode. And thank you, listeners, for listening to the Christian Feminist Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. If you have a topic or reading recommendations for future shows, or if you just want to drop us a line, you can do so at christianfeministpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on our Facebook page or at the network's Twitter handle, at chradionetwork. And check out the show notes from this and our other episodes at the Christian Humanist blog at christianhumanist.org. The Christian Feminist Podcast is a member of the Christian Humanist Radio Network. Kristen Philippic is our press liaison. For Katie Grubbs and Christina Bieberlake, I'm Marie Haas. Tune in in two weeks when we'll discuss modern female friendships. Until then, in essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, and in all things love.